needing more chairs. I'm liking that. Last week when we came together, we started talking about the attitudes towards service, how we should think and feel about things that need to be done. And we talked about our attitude toward God, how we should think about God, how we should feel about God, how we ought to uh, conduct ourselves because of how we feel about God. We moved on to talk about attitudes towards ourselves as redeemed children of God, how we ought to think about ourselves and how we ought to feel about ourselves. And we started to talk about our attitude towards our brethren. Talked about cooperating and getting along. And we were moving on to the idea of peaceableness. I don't care if it's a group of two or two hundred. People have a tendency to bicker and feud, especially if they're tired or if they've been working hard or 20,000 other reasons. It's one of the things that we do. But our Bibles would tell us that there needs to be peace among brethren. And it's something that we should pursue. Romans 14, 19 says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things whether one may edify another. The idea of being a peacemaker was even one of the Beatitudes in the, that big sermon that Christ did. We should have a peaceableness with each other. No matter how childish all the other venues you go to may be, people can bicker at work or in the neighborhood or whatever else, but in the family of God here at the church, we shouldn't have that. We should be pursuing peace. It's a part of walking worthy of our calling. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. As we're trying to walk worthy of our calling, being peaceable to one another and getting along is a part of that. The true children of God are those who are peacemakers. And so their deeds of righteousness and the atmosphere of peace. Whatever it is that you're out there trying to do, if you're out there doing it by causing contention and strife and fight, and getting on everybody's nerves and being a bully and pushing people around, well, you're not going to get anywhere with that. The old saying goes that you catch more flies with honey. And when you talk about flies, there's other things that work, but that takes away from the analogy. The idea is, if you're being a peacemaker, if you're being correct toward people, if you have the right attitude toward people, you get a lot further. And that goes with our relationships within the church, and goes to our evangelism, that goes to every aspect of our lives. So as true children of God, we ought to be peacemakers. And so are deeds of righteousness in the atmosphere of peace. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Being a peacemaker is not to be underrated. Everybody's worried about getting the last word in, and oh, I sure showed him or her. No, how about we just be the peacemaker? James 3, 17 and 18 would say, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle and easy to be uh, entreated, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. There was a whole lot of peace in just them two verses. I would dare say that the inspired writers are starting to lay a pattern of showing that it's important for us to have peace. They talk about peace of passive understanding, having peace with each other, being peaceable, being peacemakers. As Christians, it's part of who we should be and part of how we should be. 
stepping out of being peaceable is the idea of being hospitable. Christians ought to have a certain amount of hospitality in them. Romans 12.13 says, distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. Whether that be being welcoming to the person who comes in here, helping out your friends, neighbors, loved ones, brothers, sisters in church, with whatever you're able to help them with, or anything else you can fill that blank in with, as Christians, we ought to be hospitable. This includes both hospitality to strangers and to the brethren. It's uh, easy to see someone come in and smile, shake their hand, and tell them how nice they are to, to see them and have them here, but... What about that one guy in the turquoise shirt? you got to be nice to him every week, too. And you see him come in, and you're just like, really? That guy again? But you're supposed to be hospitable to that guy, too. It doesn't have to be strangers. It should be everybody. Because we're supposed to be peaceful, hospitable, nice people. If we're going to be like Christ, which is what Christian means, to be like Christ. 1 Peter 4 9 says, Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Just like we don't go to church because, I have to go to church. We're not hospitable because, oh, I have to be hospitable. It's supposed to be a part of who we are. It shouldn't be forced. It shouldn't be obligatory. It's the right thing to do, and that's how we're supposed to be, is looking for the next right thing to do. A factor in the rapid spread of the church in the first century was the hospitality extended by Christians. They weren't a bunch of jerks going out being rude to everybody and pushy. That was the Crusades, and that wasn't Christianity. The 3 John 1, 5 through 8 said, Beloved, thou dost faithfully whatsoever thou dost to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of the charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles, we therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers of the truth. It's just simply a part of who we should be. There's a whole lot of things that ought to be personality traits of a Christian. If you tell somebody, describe a Christian, it would be wonderful if somebody fit that description so well, they would just, well, go be like brother or sister so-and-so. But, but if they listed it out, these are the types of things that should be listed out in the description of who we are striving to be. We should carry ourselves with a warmth, a friendliness, and an openness that's recognizable as different, or peculiar, if you will. That ought to be a part of who we are as well. We see this expressed by those in the church of Jerusalem, Acts 2, 44-47, and all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. And the point of this isn't that you have to go out and sell everything you own. I mean, it's your stuff. You have that right. You can. The idea behind this was that material items was not what was important. Early Christians cared about each other. They cared about spreading the gospel. They cared about following Christ. They didn't worry about what they were going to eat because they knew that God took care of feeding the birds so God would feed them too. They didn't worry about their clothes. They didn't worry about the weather. They worried about being good people. They worried about being followers of their Lord and Savior. I think in a lot of modern day churches and Christians, that's something that gets lost. We get caught up in paying the bills and 
make and the hours at work and whatever else carries us away in the storm of life, and we lose sight of the fact that in the grand scheme of things, that's not what matters. What matters is following Jesus. This ideal or theme continued with the saints in Antioch, Acts 11, 27-30. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem to Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that they should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And this idea wasn't about glorifying specific individuals. The idea was, oh, somebody else is in need. Well, we don't care about materialistic stuff. Let's help people. So this group of Christians did what they could to help another group of people. Another part of this attitude that should make up our personality is a gentleness and meekness. Especially uh, necessary in dealing with the spiritually weak. Galatians 6, 1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou be tempted. If you really get to where you understand meekness and the idea of what that is, I'm sure we can all identify that with somebody in our lives. And I, as I'm trying to think of a good way to put this person into words that you would be thinking about, you would probably think of them as more wise. They're a little more soft-spoken. The things that they say make sense. They're not in your face. They're not gaudy. They're not loud. They're not trying to make their point at the expense of everything around them. They're there. They know that there's use that they can be. But they're not going to shove it down your throat. They're there to help. They're good people. And they're just a little bit more laid back and quiet. Probably as a result of wisdom that they have received. And wisdom that they have learned to ingrain into their lives. Meekness and gentleness is something we should be striving to be a part of our own selves. And the way we carry ourselves. And the way that we portray ourselves to others. It's better for us to be meek so we can take time to see things and do things right, relax a little bit, and not be impulsive and look at what's going on because this gentle meekness is another one of them Christ-like characteristics that we're supposed to be emulating. Uh, we, Galatians 6.1 says, we read, talked about if a man be overtaken in a fault, that to restore him with meekness and gentleness this same idea goes into dealing with those who oppose us. 2 Timothy 2, 24-26, And the servant of the Lord must not strife, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach patient and meekness, and instructing those that oppose themselves, if God, providential, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. We've all seen people get into it. Well, both parties are heated off. What happens? This one yells, and then this one yells back. And this one gets louder, and this one gets louder. And if something doesn't break it up, it just keeps getting bigger. Well, have you ever seen one of these scuffles where the first one's yelling and screaming and loud, and they're making their point, they're going on and on and on, and then when they take a breath, the other one very calmly and collectively says what, what it is that they feel they need to say, and possibly even without jumping back at them with their words, even as they're calm. Just, hey, you know, better way of thinking about it, let's not yell. It not only helps defuse the situation, but it really confuses the first individual and everybody around, and that's an added bonus in itself, just to watch everybody get confused. If you're peaceable and you're meek and you're gentle, 
you can be contagious and that can spread all around you and make everything get better, whether it be your church situation, the work you're trying to do here, or any other aspect of your life. We should carry ourselves with an attitude of forgiveness, forbearance, patience, and long-suffering. All of these attitudes overlap and they're very important. Ephesians 4.2 says, With all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. In other words, be patient and kind of loving enough to just be there for people and to be able to be the person you need to be. Ephesians 4.32, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And we're not going to go into how many. We don't need to figure out what 7 times 70 is. We don't need to figure out if somebody's just not worth our time. We just need to know that if we can't forgive the people face-to-face -face with us, we have no right expecting the Lord to forgive us all of our faults because we got a bigger plank in our own eye. As we're being kind and patient and forgiving on all these other types of attitudes, they simply help smooth out the bumps and obstacles that Satan will put in our way in his effect and his effort to destroy the local church. If we're carrying ourselves with all these attitudes, it not only will help smooth things out throughout our life, but the way that it portrays us as a family and as a group can help change some of these modern attitudes that have come about about church due to false church groups. Or even just groups that started out right, but a few people in the group have just made it look really bad. As we're looking at all these attitudes that we just carry throughout our lives, this ties right into our attitude towards our work. We need to be grateful for the privilege of our work. If there's anything you can do in the name of Christ, you shouldn't find it as a burden. You should be grateful. Paul possessed this type of attitude, 1 Timothy 1.12, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Paul had a lot of bad things happen in his life because he was in the ministry. He wasn't hurt about it at all. He said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, that he enabled me, counted me faithful enough for this position. And it might not be ministry, it could be any number of things, whatever it is the Lord has put before you to do, you should be grateful for the opportunity. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10 says, For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace, which was bestowed upon, was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Somebody who hasn't really thoroughly gone through the Bible might know enough to know how many things that Paul wrote in a lot of situations in, and they're going to say, well, wait a minute, the least of the apostles? What in the world are you talking about? Well, this is the kind of attitude we should have no matter how much we do, no matter how many souls we help to bring to Christ, no matter how much work we get done, it should never be, look at me, I'm this awesome individual. It should be, as Paul said, I am the least of the apostles. Because it wasn't him that got all that done, it was the grace of God working through him. And he recognized that, and that's what kept his attitude in check. So he was grateful to be used in such a way, and acknowledged that he didn't really do anything except allow God to use him in the way God needed him. And really, it was all God that got everything done, and he was just fortunate enough to be a part of it. We should constantly ask ourselves if we appreciate what an honor it is to offer service in the kingdom of our Lord. There's never a time when you should be past asking yourself that. Do you properly appreciate any and all parts you have been allowed 
in the kingdom of our Lord, whether it be a pew warmer or a cleaner or a preacher or a go sit and talk to people or a hold somebody's hand or whatever it is that God has bestowed upon you that you can do in his name, do we appreciate the honor that comes along with being able to serve our Lord in any and all capacities that he's blessed us with the ability to serve him? As we're being thankful and meek and all these other things, how about enthusiasm and eagerness? When there's work to be done, no matter what it is, the level of it, the type of it, are we just distraught that we've got to go do something, and oh, why me? Or are we excited for the very chance that we can go and do something to help others, do something to serve our Lord, do something that should be coming of who we're striving to be? We need to remember that God loves the cheerful giver as we start thinking about this attitude. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Every man, according as he has purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. And most people read that verse and think about money and offerings. There's a whole lot more that you can give than whatever's in your pocket. Um, starting with the fact that you should be giving your everything to the Lord. But the, God loves a cheerful giver. So are you cheerful and happy and eager and enthused about whatever work you're going to go do for the Lord? Or is it an obligation you've got to go fulfill and oh, woe is me? These attitudes are just like pebbles in a pond. They ripple out through your life. They ripple out and they hit the next person over, the next group over. So what kind of ripples are we putting out there? Are we putting out good positive ripples like I'm enthusiastic to serve my Lord? Or are we putting out the kind of ripples that are going to rock all the boats around us? Nothing is so easy but that it becomes difficult and done with reluctance. It doesn't matter how simple of a task you have before you. If you go into it with an attitude that it's the worst thing that could ever be done, it's going to take longer, it's going to just make you feel even more miserable, and then because you're so miserable, you're going to mess it up, and then, oh man, now i got to do it again. And before you know it, this 20-minute job is taking you four hours to get done, and you're still messing it up, doing it wrong, and finally you give up. And at the end of the day, it was this really simple thing that even a child could have handled, and it only went bad because you had the wrong attitude. And there's so many things in our life, whether they be in our church life or in our worldly life, which, by the way, is still part of your church life, because we're not Sunday morning Christians, we're 24-7 Christians, yeah. that we just let all these things happen because we let our attitudes get in the way. I don't have a forgive, an attitude of forgiveness, I have an attitude of I can't stand you anymore. I don't have an attitude of eagerness toward getting this done, I have an attitude of my show was on, why am I doing this? And we can go back and forth with every one of these back and forth analogies, but we're all smart enough to do these on our own. Anything and everything we do, we can go into it with an attitude of, I'm going to do this as a Christian and I feel great about that. Or we can go into it with five million other attitudes, at least half of which are negative. And that attitude going in is going to have a great impact on not only the outcome, but everything in between. We need to be industrious, diligent. We need to have energy behind it. People say industrious. Well, I'm not an engineer. We don't have to be an engineer to be industrious. You might just know a better way to push a broom. Industrious can mean a lot of things. Look at those in Nehemiah's day. We need to. Uh, we need a mind to work. That doesn't mean no. I'm. I'm I'd rather not. I, I. If I have to work, I mind that. I no. No. That means have a mind to work. Nehemiah four six. So we built the wall. And the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. These people went out to that job and said, yep, we're going to go do this. 
we're God's people, we're rebuilding this wall, and we're happy to get it to work. And they went and they got it done because they had the right attitude, so they went and they did what they needed to do. If we are to serve man heartily, how much more the Lord, or in other words, if we do the things we do for other human beings with the correct attitudes, and they're just people in our lives, how much more are we going to go to the Lord with the right attitude? Colossians 2.23, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men. You got a terrible job working for a terrible individual, and he's a horrible boss. Well, guess what? All powers of you were put there by the Lord. He's probably there to teach you a lesson. Do a good job because you're not working for that jerk. You're working for the Lord. All the things that you do, you're supposed to do, knowing that as a Christian, you work for God at every turn and every action, every single thing that you do. So remember that. Keep your attitude correct. And then watch as not only all these little things around you get better, but people notice, man, that guy just gets it done. The slothful person is just as harmful as the destructive person. As from Proverbs, Proverbs 18.9, He also that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. If you're just piddling through it, or if you're throwing everything away, or if you're just simply not showing up and doing your part at all angles of this, you're hindering things. You've got to show up with the right attitude and you've got to get it done. Realize that you work for the Lord, and because you work for the Lord, you're doing it for Him. So since you're doing it for Him, you're happy to do it, you're going to do a good job. Which kind of goes into the idea of initiative. You shouldn't have to be told at every turn. Maybe you didn't know about that thing that could be done, okay, so somebody has to tell you. But there's all things that we can see and recognize in our own minds and say, hey, that needs to happen. And hey, I know how to do it. Initiative has been defined as the willingness to do what is right without having to be prodded. Well, that's how you're going to describe initiative. That ought to be a description of how we conduct ourselves in our everyday lives and everywhere we go. The willingness to do what is right without having to be prodded. That's pretty much exactly how we should look at everything that we do. We shouldn't have to be reminded constantly of our responsibilities. 1 Timothy 4.14 says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying out of hands of the presbytery. God has blessed us all with abilities and talents and knowledge of things that we're able to do and teach and show and participate in. Don't waste that gift he gave you. 2 Timothy 1.6 says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou, sir, thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Again, same idea here. If the Lord has blessed you with any of these things, don't just sit and waste them because you don't feel like it or you're lazy or you're tired or it's not important to you. When you see something that needs to be done, don't criticize, energize. Or in other words, just go do it yourself. If everybody's got the attitude of somebody else will handle that, well, everybody has that attitude, so nobody else is ever going to handle that. If everybody's got the attitude of, oh, I, that needs done, I'll just take care of it. There's not going to be a whole lot to do because we're all going to be just taking care of it. There needs to be a positiveness. We are to do things without murmuring and grumbling. Philippians 2.14, do all things without murmuring and disputes. That goes back to that attitude. If we've got this begrudging, horrible attitude as we go into it, we're bound to make mistakes, and one of them is going to be murmuring and grumbling and having disputes. The chronic complainer and the negative thinker are obstructions to the work of a congregation. Having these attitudes not only makes you not get things done, they slow everybody else down along the way. It's okay to have an attitude of, I still need to learn, I don't know that yet, so I don't want to take point on this. 
But not to have an attitude of, oh, that's horrible. Oh, that's ugly. Oh, I don't want to do that. Oh, you did such a bad job. Well, they did a bad job. Maybe they did their best, and maybe it's something you don't even know how to do. Why don't you take some time and learn more about it? Or several other better ways to go about it. The negativity will just drag everybody down. It's never going to benefit any of us. Persistence. We have to have the attitude of Christ. Not just to do, but to finish the work of God. Any job that's getting done, you don't want to leave it half done. If you're repairing the engine on your vehicle so you can go to work, you don't just go to bed at regular time, get up the next day and say, oh man, how do I get to work now? If you're repairing a big hole in the wall in January, you don't just go to bed because it's bedtime or just quit because, oh well, I don't feel like finishing it. The whole room's going to fill up with snow. And those are extreme and mildly funny scenarios, but that scenario trickles down to everything. If you're going to start something, have the mindset to follow through with it and get it done. If we had a Lord and Savior who didn't have that mindset, where would we have been if he got through the beatings all night long and instead of persisting on through and being crucified, says, man, you know what? Being a deity, I know how people are going to be in 2,000 years. I just don't think it's worth it. I'm just going to go ahead and go back to heaven. I'm not getting crucified. Good luck with your eternity. He was persistent to see things through to the end, and as Christians, we should be the exact same way. And John 4.34, Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Not just to go and muddle our way through it, but to go and do it and get it done. We need finishative. Finishing initiative. Finishative. As well as our initiative. It's not good enough to have the initiative to go get it started. No, we need to get it done. Hebrews 6.12 says, That ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. And that's why we need to get it done. If we're just kind of muddling through partway and quitting, we're not getting it done. That's like doing all this studying and figuring out everything about Christ and figuring out exactly what you have to do to be a Christian and go to heaven. And then just kind of getting busy and going off over here and doing something else and then finish your life and you die and you're like, oh man, I was so close. Don't do that. Whether it be in becoming a Christian or getting a job done or any other aspect of your life, follow through. Do your best and follow through with it. We want to be able to say with Paul, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. You might not say I come in first place and I laughed every one of them losers and man was I fast. But you can say, I fought the good fight, and I finished the race, and I kept the faith. There's always all these movies that do off in people's lives. There's one about a coach who taught all these kids who had nothing to run and got a bunch of them into college. And there's one kid in that team he had who was just not fast. He was just not good at it. But I'll tell you what, no matter what anybody thought about that kid, he finished every race, and at the very end of that movie, they won their big tournament because he beat another slow kid by like five feet. He could have dropped out anywhere in that because I'm slow, I'm out of shape, I'm fat, I'm not good at this. Why am I running with these healthy people? But he set out to do something, so he finished it. And that attitude is the attitude we're talking about here. I set out to do this. It's the right thing to do. I'm going to finish it. You don't have to have that finishing initiative if you set out and found out you're doing something wrong. Go ahead and stop. But as long as you're doing the right thing, finish what you started. Finish that Bible study. Finish that repair. Finish that job you were doing. Finish helping that person. If you're doing the right thing, follow through. It may not be the best and most awesome ever, but 
But there's always somebody better at anything, no matter how good you are. But that doesn't mean you don't finish it and do your best. The ideal attitude for making or for working conditions among the church members at a local church uh, is an attitude improvement which can be compared to a woodcutter's sharpening his axe. Ecclesiastes 10.10 10 says that the iron be blunt and he do not wet the edge. Then must he put to more strength, but wisdom is profitable to direct. If you're not familiar with axe and chopping and everything, basically if you've got an axe that's kind of dull, you've either got to sharpen it or you've got to go and you've got to work ten times harder. Well, our attitude is the exact same way. If our attitude has become blunt, we can sharpen that attitude up and take the time to correct it and spend some time in prayer and reading and Bible and with our families, or we can work twice as hard and possibly not even finish. That's a really good analogy. Our attitude for work is like a woodcutter sharpening of his axe. If it's dull, sharpen it or work a lot harder and maybe not even finish. If we want the work of the congregation to go smooth, we all need to hone our attitudes and make sure our attitudes are right. If we start there and we get our attitudes right, we'll all get through it. And we'll all get through it smiling and happy and making jokes and probably eating together because we all like to do that. And we're going to get done and we're all going to be satisfied with the fact that we had a job well done and we all did our best and we had a good time doing it together. Whether it be physical labor or evangelism or whatever the case, we're not specifying any specific thing here. Just that overall, we need to go in with these attitudes corrected and honed and sharpened so that as a family unit, as a congregation, we can get it done. Certainly the attitudes described in this lesson will help the cause of Christ in any congregation, and they will improve our relationship with God, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with our brothers and sisters, and our relationship with whatever work it is we're trying to get done. They'll make us useful to the Master, prepared for every good work. 2 Timothy 2.21, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the Master's use, and prepared unto every good work. It, it's just like anything else that we're using. I made the analogy of not finishing a repair to your car. If you tune it up and do all the repairs on your vehicle, it's a good, useful tool. It will get you where you need to go. And if we take the time and do all the tune-up and repair work we need to on our attitudes, we can be a good, useful vessel, vessel that the Lord can use to get things where they need to go and get them done. So we should ask ourselves regularly, are we developing the right kinds of attitudes that prepare us for the work of the Lord? Or possibly even, have we let these attitudes slip back? Do we need to do some repairs on them? Are our attitudes right? Are they growing the way they should? Are they being maintained the way they should? Or have we let everything fall apart? The main idea and several thoughts in this lesson are all the same. They're things that we need to dwell on, things we need to contemplate on. They're things that we need to know as Christians, and even as just individuals, even if you've never heard about Christ in your life, everything in this lesson will benefit you and make you a better person, better at everything who you are. But we are Christians. And as Christians, everything that we've talked about are things that we need to make sure that we're not slack on. Because it starts right there at the front with our attitude. And if we go into our work with a poor attitude, well, by the end of it, there's no telling how far it could cause us or anybody else to backslide how bad it could affect the job at hand, whatever that job may be. 
and that goes both ways. The negative will always breed more negative and the positive more positive. On that note, we're going to offer the invitation like we always do when we're together, and that invitation at Mall City is open anytime, day or night. But why wait? We're here. If you're not a Christian and you know what's required of you, you're going straight to hell if you don't act upon it. And if you are a Christian and you need your family for anything at all, big or small, the invitation is open for you too. Why fester it? Respond as we all stand and sing.